everybody. Welcome to another great episode of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychic Medium Angelo, joined tonight by the movie maker, Mike Messier. How are you, Michael? Glad to be here with you, buddy. Michael, we got a brand new uh, addition to the family tonight. Good. I want to introduce everybody to our new permanent co-host. This is Dan the Man Sebastiano, a nice Italian boy from Jersey who traded the luxury and plush lifestyle of the great Northeast for the hills of Virginia. Why? I don't know, <laughs> but he lives in Norfolk, Virginia now. How are you, Dan? Welcome to the show. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I look well, forward to the uh, opportunity to work with you. Well, we're going to break in good tonight because we've got an amazing guest uh, with a rich history in wrestling. But before we get to our amazing guest tonight, Let's talk a little bit about wrestling. What's going on in the world of pro wrestling, Messier? Well, you still have the empty air, uh, empty arena era of pro wrestling, as I've been calling it. Uh, most recently on AEW, they, they try to make the most of it last week, I think, with the uh, world title match. Yeah. John Moxley defending the title in an empty arena match. I thought it was a pretty good, entertaining, hard-fought contest with him. And uh, Jack uh, Hager or, or John Hager, uh, the, Hager used to be in the WWE for years and years as the uh, All-American We the People. But he was uh, Jack Swagger, right? Correct. Correct. Now I think he's Jake Hager. So, uh, well, that's sometimes... his shoot name, I believe, is, is Jake Hager. And he's doing uh, Bellator MMA, which is also a shoot. Yeah. And uh, throughout the show, they try to build up his Bellator MMA by showing uh, different Bellator MMA experts like uh, Big Big John, the referee from the early UFC days. And, sure, Big John uh, McCarthy. Absolutely. Big John McCarthy and Bill Goldberg's brother, Mike Goldberg, the longtime yeah. commentator of MMA. Oh, God, sure. So they all did little sound bites where they were predicting the winner of this match. And, and it was yeah. kind of cool because they had all the MMA people pick Hagar and they had the more traditional pro wrestling people pick Moxley. I imagine and, uh, that. <laughs> yeah. And I think of, of all the matches we've seen in these empty arena uh, right. situations, the people that have stood out for me across both companies really yeah. are uh, Chris Jericho. And I think Drew McIntyre, the new WWE champion. I think yeah, he's been well, really let's well talk about Drew. Sure. Um, you know, I got to tell you, um, it, what bothers me, first of all, I think the guy is an amazing athlete. He's yeah. got a great gimmick. He's got a great look. What bothers me really, and I, it, I don't understand it, but they waited till now to let this guy's personality come out when there's no people to appreciate it. Okay. That really yeah, that, just like I just don't understand. Dan, chime in. No, here. you're 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 absolutely right. That was a hard moment. You crowned. I mean, he defeated Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. You crowned your new top star, your new face of the company without a fan reaction. That's not really a clip you can play over and over again. That's not uh, the the crowd booing th Austin the Austin three sixteen promo. That's not Hogan yeah. pinning Sheik. That's it, it's an empty arena of silence and. Back, back, you know, not even background. Yeah, and that's the point that, and you just picked up on the point that, that I made, which was, what a time to shine when nobody can appreciate it. Yeah, which, I, if I may, I think it's you mentioned the uh, Jericho and, and Moxley, how you can see 
who was trained to perform as a wrestler and who was trained to perform as a performer watching these empty arena matches half the wrestlers come out or excuse me sports entertainers depending on which company you're talking about yeah. half the wrestlers come out and they they, yeah. they play to a crowd because they have no other knowledge of they, right. they hit their big spots and they they look for the you know they put their hands up or they look for the moment and yeah. it just doesn't work because there's no crowd reaction you, well you, they're Dan, not what do you make built. of um uh, what do you make, Dan, of AEW using other wrestlers to fill in as the crowd? You know, with the baby faces on one side, heels on the other. That, I've only seen that once, and, and I'm not, I was never trained as a wrestler, but I have seen, what I guess, what you could call a training match. And that's what it was. The other wrestlers in the school were in the crowd kind of cheering yawn, throwing the comments right. out. That's what sure. that reminded me of, was it was an old training match. Yeah, and and a lot of people uh, akin it to um, the indie circuit. You know, basically a lot of the guys, particularly in the AEW, a lot of these guys, Mike Messier, came from the indies. Right, in fact, uh, many of them right off the indies. I did wrestle yeah. a few matches myself a long time ago, and I can tell you that we had shows. And the group I was in was called Power League Wrestling. I wrestled as Mad Dog Mike Messier. Yep. And uh, I can tell you there were nights or days, because we did a lot of Sunday early matinee shows, where there was more wrestlers in the building than fans. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's most of the time. <laughs> yeah, and it's, 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 a, it's kind of a lonely, empty feeling, and you start to question yourself, and what yeah. am I doing with my life, and, you know, all that type of stuff. But Yeah. Um, I think that the wrestlers, I, I, I happen to think that Drew McIntyre, it was a good idea that they went with him to win the belt. Yeah. Having a little feedback here tonight. Um, yeah, it's uh, Karen McDaniel's phone, I believe. Okay, Karen. Um, you know, I will, I, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say that, that I think Drew McIntyre, to me, it's working. And I would say that if they were to have kept the belt on Brock, it would and, and say, okay, we're going to wait till SummerSlam. Well, guess what, folks? What if SummerSlam came and this social distancing and, and things weren't yeah. over yet? Were we going to keep the belt on Brock for a year and a half? We know what would have happened. Oh Brock would have had a contract issue. He would have negotiated. He would have wanted more money. And probably McMahon eventually would say, you know what? I'm not going to give you more money. And then they'd just vacate the title for the third or fourth time. And that's only a title that's been, well, that's the WWE uh, Universal title. I'm getting confused with the two titles. But my right. point is, I think they did what was, quote, best for business. They took right. the belt off of Brock. They put yeah. it on Big Drew. And yes, it's not the best hand to be dealt for Drew McIntyre, but that's the hand he got dealt. I think he's doing an A minus, maybe an A job with what he's got to work with. Well, and you I'm know, Mike, your uh, your confusion as to the titles is uh, sure. is justified, uh, greatly justified. In fact, you know, they have entirely too many titles. That's one of the problems. Um, my dog is, I'm going to kill my dog right now. <laughs> dog, your dog's getting but upset about the too, one, too many titles. One of the too. problems they have is that uh, there are entirely too many titles. And, I mean, you got the Tuesday night title. You got the Wednesday afternoon title. The 24-7 title. Uh, whatever. You got. Hold on a second. Rocky. This is ridiculous. Hold on, folks. Let me kill I'll, my dog. I'll keep talking. I'll fill the spot. Uh, yeah. Basically. Yeah, Jersey with a dog named Rocky. There's there you else. go. I, I, I would say, Dan, that, and for the listeners, um, 
anytime you have more than one world title in the same company, you're going to have problems. The only time I can remember, and Dan, you might remember this, is the WCW in 92, 93. For about a year and a half, they recognized the NWA world title again. Yeah, and they had the, the best reign. I was actually lucky enough to be there to see Barry Windham beat the Great Muda in Asheville, North Carolina at Super Brawl 3. And to me, that was a different feel and a different vibe than the WCW world champion, which was Vader. So you right. had two world champions with distinct different lineages. Uh, they were both heel champions, which was interesting. See, and, and that's, oh, I'm sorry, I, I thought you were finished. Oh, they, they kept them away from each other. And so it had a different vibe. And what, what are your thoughts on two world titles in one company, Dan? Well, the, you, what you just had was actually a great example because at the time, the, the WCW title was your big heavyweights, Vader, Ron Simmons. It was the heavyweights and the NWA title, Muda, you had, like you, you mentioned with uh, Barry Windham, that was your, that was your workhorse technical championship. The, the problem that, that they, the WWE runs into now is one you have like you said you they have way too many titles but the fact is they they don't build around them either i mean right. when i was a kid you know your your mid-card titles your united states title in the, the wcw nwa and then the intercontinental title i mean you look at the early wrestlemanias intercontinental title matches were always the best one on the card that was your workhorse title i i just watched raw and smackdown within the last couple of days. And I can't remember off the top of my head who the intercontinental, intercontinental champion is right now. You know? I can't either, to be honest uh, with you. Uh, there, there, be, you know what? The problem I, I is, Dan. Sami Zayn. That was the the whole, he won it in the, the three-on-one match. And then, right. that's right. Well, the, but, the uh, problem is they're not champion long enough to get to know who they are. That's true. Yeah, that's you have, I mean, this is almost Vince, Vince Russo WCW era where you'll have 10 or 12 title changes a year. The, the era of the, the, the two, three, four year title reign. I understand that in yeah. the modern Ronald wrestling, you can't have that, but you can still have, you can have your, your Becky Lynch has been the raw women's champion for over a year. Now Brock yeah. Lesnar had the title for what was like 10 or 11 months. His first, his first yeah. reign, sure. you, know, you, you can build up a champion. You just, you have too much. I, I think you got to find the balance. Like you mentioned how the, the creativeness of the empty arena, did you, they, they just released the the pictures from the upcoming Money in the Bank pay-per-view where they're they're going to have the ladder set up on the roof of Titan Towers and the wrestlers are going to fight through the building and have to get to the roof and get up, get the, the, the Money in the Bank briefcase is going to be hanging over the roof of the building. You know, that's creative. That gives you something to do. But you have these creative moments. And well, then, um, the old guy's going to take a section uh, exception to that, and I'll tell you why the old guy's going to take exception to that. It's either depending on your your age and viewpoint, either very creative or grasping for straws. Yeah, I could see, I could see uh, the balance I am there. Of the mindset that it's grasping for straws because they've run out of, quite honestly, they've run out of original ideas. Well, and he, let he, us he, remember our history. It's been done already. Right. People yeah. don't know that. It's already been done. I mean, you, you're going to, you have between Raw, ju just on WWE side, between Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, you have seven hours of programming every week. You physically can't write enough to keep people engaged. And, that well, that's, that's, and Dan, that's another show entirely. <laughs> it's something that Mike Messier knows all too well.
And and just so you know, we got to be careful dumping on Vince Russo because Mike Messier is a dear friend of Vince Russo. <laughs> oh, I am. And here, here's the thing, Dan. You know, and it's fine that you mentioned Vince Russo in WCW because, quite frankly, that wasn't a great fit. But if you take a look at the WWE or WWF since Vince left, going way back to 2000, mm-hmm. the only title reign that I can remember that had any legs to it was CM Punk had a 14-month title reign. And yeah. he still didn't get to main event WrestleMania because they had him lose the title to The Rock, uh, who went on to fight John Cena in that rematch. Right. So Which was something that was very common. Even, I mean, J- JBL, I think he was champion on SmackDown for about a year, if I remember correctly. A but you had, you had yeah. champions that were that took a back seat to storylines. They You saw it with yeah. Punk. You saw it with The Miz. You saw it with uh, the first run after after JBL with, you know, obviously sure. he, he was bouncing back and forth with John Cena. The champions weren't the main draw of the show. They weren't even the right. main focus or the main story. If and, I that, can- and that's problematic. If yes. I could put a, a, a little bow on this, because we have a great guest tonight, but yeah, there's sure a do. bow that I could put on it, which is Lance Storm, who who has taken exception to me on Twitter a couple <laughs> of times, but that's okay. Uh, Lance Storm, before he got hired to work with the WWE and since fired from WWE in the last couple of weeks, but Lance Storm, when they were doing that wild card thing on Raw and SmackDown, when the wild card wrestlers can go back and forth, yeah. Lance Storm tweeted, how about making the champions the wild card wrestlers and the the titles, all these eight or different different titles go back and forth between Raw and SmackDown and only your champions can go to the different shows and the challengers stay to their evening. Well, simple yeah. idea. Maybe mm-hmm. those type of logical ideas are why they wanted to hire a guy like Lance Storm. And unfortunately, because of our modern day circumstances with coronavirus, Lance has been let go. But sometimes those logical things uh, are the best thing. I mean, remember when Undertaker was champion going back to 2001 or 2002, he would be on Raw one night as the world champion. Then on SmackDown uh, a couple of nights later on the different network, that seemed to work. But I just I don't agree that one company needs a different champion because they have two shows. To me, that's absurd. Well, we can discuss this subject ad nauseum, guys, and I'm sure we will. On an upcoming show, but tonight I'm going to cut that short and introduce an amazing guest. Uh, you all remember, of course, the legacy and legend of the amazing Chief Wahoo McDaniel. Nobody knew him better than our next guest. She was married to him for more than 20 years, and she is uh, a woman with a treasure trove of stories to tell. Please welcome Karen McDaniel. Karen, are you with me? I am with you, and you guys, I'm telling you, boys, if you're going to talk about the way it should be or the way it should go with wrestling, you got to remember, I, I I lived with a booker. <laughs> I heard it all, and I soaked it up. And, I mean, that you you really hit a lot of really good points. I'm, I have to tell you, I'm an AEW fan right now, big time. I like the fact they, I like the fact they put the guys on the outside of the ring, the different to to cheer them on i thought drew mcintyre did a great job i'm glad he won um i yeah. did watch that but i'm i'm a big aew fan now you got chris down there and i think cody's just just blown it what dusty would have done had he been in this time and yeah. era and frame and age and he's taken all that i'm real proud of him 
I've well, Karen, let me ask you a question. What what would Wahoo yes. think of today's product? Oh my God! Don't even ask me that question. No, I'm he serious. Would, would go, no, what no. would he think? He would turn it off. He would turn it off mostly. There would be some matches he would would um, would would think were okay, but really and truly, I he, you you kind of I don't know how to say this. What what we knew as wrestling is gone. But yes. you've got a new group of wrestling fans. They're younger. They have. They don't know that. The only that way they're even getting exposed to what I call real wrestling is the fact that WWE is putting on the old NWA, AWA. And I've got a lot of young wrestling people that come up and tell me that's what they're watching. They're not even yeah. watching Raw or SmackDown. They're well, that brings that up a real good point. Stuff. You know, one of the... Uh... As much as I have some issues with uh, WWE as a company, the one thing that I will give them a lot of credit for is they've maintained the history of the National Wrestling Alliance, particularly the old NWA, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, uh, the old Crockett Territory. Well, they bought uh, it all. They bought oh, all those, sure. They bought all those things. They own them. Yeah. So, I mean, I really think it's to the advantage of their $9.99 WWE network a month. Yeah. My God, you can't see all that. Right. Know, for that price. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think it's part of, I mean, all, all the old people, the, the old wrestling fans of the 70s, 80s, 90s, that, I mean, they'd buy it just to watch those matches, just to yeah. watch those interviews again. And, and to see how it really was in the 80s, and it was different. It was a very yeah. different product, Karen. Karen, yeah. uh, our, our newest uh, host, Dan the Man, has a question for you. Well, Go I was ahead, just gonna, well thank you. I was going to bounce off what she said with the, uh, with the product, because Vince McMahon's been on record several times from WCW through Crockett and all the sub companies. He bought... Pretty much all those companies specifically for their tape catalog. He didn't want the talent. Exactly. He didn't want the producers. He wanted the tapes. No. He he. he that tape. is one thing I give him credit for is he knew the value of a deep tape archive before a lot of other promoters Absolutely. did. Absolutely, and I'm gonna tell you something. Um, a lot of them at <laughs> 421 Briarbend were thrown in the dumpster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I happen to know who dug them out. And I happen to know who has he has some. Uh, actually, he gave my son Nolan, who loves wrestling, he gave him a set. Was Cornette? Yeah. Cornette dug a bunch. They just threw away. Yeah, he did. The 70s. They it tossed might, them you out know, in the garbage can. Karen, I, I heard cover. that. I actually <laughs> heard that Jim Cornette gave the janitor five hundred bucks for it. Well, he probably did. Yeah. Yeah. He probably did. He he literally yeah. pulled him out of the trash can. Mike Messier, yeah. go ahead. Well, I've, I've I've despite my loyalty to Vince Russo, I have gone to the Jim Cornette side of things to purchase some things from Jim Cornette, and what he has, I believe he calls it the uh, the Crockett collection or the the Mid Atlantic basement tapes, and uh, Jim, I, I've I've bought them basically, and Jim will sell yeah. you those for ten bucks for a DVD set. And uh, this is some really interesting archival stuff. Wahoo is featured, Ken Patera, Greg yeah. Valentine, yeah. Ric Flair, young Ric Flair. The, the, the interesting thing about some of this footage is uh, apparently this Mid-Atlantic television show 
it was very interesting because the commentator would would talk, but they'd have like a monitor behind him that he'd stand yeah. up and look behind himself to see the uh, almost like a Titan Tron, kind of ahead of its time, and then the studio ring would be in front of him. So what yeah. I always get upset about a little bit is when these young wrestling fans they think that wrestling started uh, with John Cena, or they think that wrestling started with Edge. It, it, there's such yeah. a rich history. When I was a fan, um, I would pick up Sports Review Wrestling Magazine, and they would have five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they'd have an article every month called uh, Looking Back. And the, you yeah. would read about the history about you know guys like Dory Funk Jr., and uh, Luthez and the great Misfito wrestlers that I never saw in action. But here I was learning about the history and I just mm -hmm. wish that more young wrestling fans today uh, that are so critical about the color of Becky Lynch's hair or the color yeah. of Alexa Bliss's uh, lipstick would take time to really study uh, the great heritage of wrestling that Dan the Man has uh, behind him. He's got Terry Taylor, he's got sure. Ricky Steamboat, he's got Greg Valentine. Yeah, Karen, I wish you could see... Uh... I wish you could see the wall of fame that's uh, that's uh, sitting behind Tully? Dan Demand Sebastiano right now. It's oh really? Uh, okay. There's Wahoo. Uh, there's you... Ivan Koloff, Ronnie Garvin. Everybody's there. So Dan, let me ask you a question. Yes. What do you remember about Wahoo McDaniel? Well, it's funny. Um, I I've started. I mean, wrestling obviously in the beginning, but I've always been a big sports buff, and something that a lot of people don't know is Wahoo McDaniel, everybody remembers his the defense. Um, I mean, if it was, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, the, the, the Len Dawson, Chiefs, the Hall of Fame quarterback, he's on record yeah. saying the hardest hit he ever took in career was from Wahoo. Yeah. But Wahoo when, also when did, holds did, the... Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to oh. say, um, when Denver went to the Super Bowl, I don't remember what year it was. Quite a few years ago, Len Dawson said that Wahoo... Wahoo pinned him to the mat many times <laughs> was Lynn Dawson's quote. Right. Yeah. And and everybody remembers the hits. And of course with Wahoo, he his jersey said Wahoo on the back, which was uncommon back then, it not did. To, to have nicknames. But he also holds the Oklahoma record. He 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 doubled his he was that's kicking and, and he he a ninety one yard punt, which is one that's a record that'll never be broken again. He, he holds two records that have never been broken, a 91-yard punt against Iowa and an 86-yard touchdown down pass from Bobby Boyd. He called it. There because you go. He, you know, back then, Ironman, offense, defense, and special yep. teams. He, but he's in, also uh, – In New York, in New York when, when you talked to me last week about the name, somebody had given him the name Wahoo in college, um, the thing that they were really mentioning about in the arena, uh, in the football – uh, was that people would chant because he was a middle linebacker. Yes. And he would sack the quarterback. And they'd go, guess who? And the fans would go, wahoo. And yeah. McDaniel, I do have a picture of this. I'll send it to you if you haven't seen it on my Facebook. I actually have, Karen. And I, I think okay. what, what we want to do now is to, to remind everybody that uh, last week, uh, Mike Armageddon Murphy was relating a story about wahoo. Yeah. Uh, okay. He had the gist of it, but he had the yeah, details yeah. a little, a little skewed. That but was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so that that's what so you're Wahoo, referring to. Yeah, so Karen, I'm referring to the fact that Wahoo was Wahoo's name, 
when he was growing up, his dad yeah. was called Wahoo. He owned Wahoo McDaniel Welding Works in Midland, Texas. The sign was there. His name was Wahoo way back then. Um, Wahoo McDaniel, my husband, was the only NFL, AFL, USFL football player to ever have his first name on the back of his jersey. And that's all it said. And that picture that you have seen is just uh, with the New York Jets. It had Wahoo yeah. on the back. That's all it had. didn't have McDaniel. didn't mm-hmm. have nothing else. Yep. And actually, it's just a little note that is in the Trivial Pursuit game um, sports edition – that is a question. So you now yeah. have the answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Karen. Go ahead. So, so the last time you were here, we were just starting to get warmed up with stories oh, from God. the road. Yeah. I mean, we were, yeah. I, I, I told everybody, you know, in fact, it was one of the most listened to shows that we've had. And I told I everybody. That. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great show. And I said, you 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 wait because Karen was just getting warmed up. Yeah, oh, we got to bring you bring her back for a part two. And we said, in part two, I'm gonna cut her loose. All right. So, oh, you. Uh-oh. You, Uh-oh. you just start wherever you want to start and roll, kid. Will you want to know my tequila road warrior story? I would yes. love to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because I. I did kind of review our, our last thing to make sure what I had talked about and what I had not talked about. Yeah. But if you if you were a wife in the Mid Atlantic Territory, which was where we spent most of our time, a uh, up up in Minnesota, yes, but most of mine and Wahoo's time together was there. Yeah. If you are a wife, if you went out drinking with the boys, you had to hang with the boys. If you couldn't drink with the boys, you didn't get to go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So That's I true. go out to the the known bar called Whispers there in Charlotte, very popular at that time. Yeah. And I'm sitting on a bar stool facing Wahoo McDaniel. I've got the animal behind me and the hawk behind Wahoo and Paul Ellering standing in front of us. And they're getting shots of tequila. Well, it was Cuervo 1800 was what was popular then. And I don't know that I drank much tequila. But I was doing shots, a shot with them, because if you get to go, you got to hang with the boys. So I knew there was no more shots I could do. I knew it. And so I yeah. took the shot, and I threw it over my shoulder, my right shoulder, and it landed on the animal's foot. Uh-oh. And he leaned over, and he said, don't worry, I'll never tell. <laughs> <laughs> the next day at TV, I've got every single wrestler calling me at home saying, you can't hang. You can't drink with us. You can't go no more. And I don't know how many years later it was that I did see Animal again, years later. And he walked right up to me and said, you want to do a shot of tequila? And I, <laughs> I haven't done a shot of tequila since then. I can't even smell it. You know, Karen, the last time you were on the show, you were telling everyone that your best friend dated a young man by the name of Rick Flair. Yes, we, everybody I that I know, I've been around this business a long time. Everybody yes. I know has a Ric Flair drinking story. So I, I would imagine that Karen McDaniel is no exception to that rule. So you've got to have a Ric Flair drinking story in you somewhere. Well, we would have the parties now. Okay. And, and, and I'm not. I'm not going to cave on this. The parties would be at mine and Beth's house. 
which would be Beth and Rick Flair and Karen and Wahoo McDaniel. We'd have the parties at Beth's house or, or whatever. So we'd be over there preparing for the parties all day. Mm-hmm. And I remember Rick in a pair. I said, God, Beth, he is not going to wear those green pants, is he? Please make him go change them because they were loud and, and obnoxious. And um, But he would get drunk, and I would had made the flower arrangement for the table because I'm crafty. You know, I think we, we've all discussed the fact that I'm crafty, and, uh, and I don't look like Aunt B. That's what people <laughs> say to me. You don't look like you could sew. You don't look like, and I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to look like, Aunt B? You know. Anyway, I'm crafty, so I had made a beautiful flower arrangement. Well, Flair had gone into the living room, and it was way into the party, and it was, you know, it was the heels and the babies because we couldn't go nowhere. We had to have a party at my house or her house or true, you know. And and she and I would prepare the drinks and the food and everything. Well, he was standing on the coffee table, and he'd taken all his clothes off, and he was standing there with the flower arrangement over his, you know, private parts. And some girl that went in there said, you need to do something about your husband. <laughs> well, she walked in there, and the only thing she could see was the flower arrangement that I made. She said, put that up. Kara just got through making that. <laughs> it wasn't that he was standing there naked. It was the fact he had messed up the flower arrangement. That's hilarious. So, that's a hilarious story. But we, I mean, there's lots of those. I mean, Flair would shut up. They would, um, what did they drink back then? Oh, my God. Tequila Sunrise and the shots. I mean, he would set yeah. up shots for everybody. Karen, you know, what would of- happen back in the day? What would happen if, God forbid... You know, baby faces and heels were seen together. Oh no, no, they were fine. I, and I mentioned that on the last show. Um, if if she and I went to Martha, we'd like to go to the mall and eat at Martha's cafeteria. You know, we were just Southern girls. We wanted some vegetables and stuff. And we would incognito. I mean, I would wear a you know a hat or something. So if anybody saw us that might know us, we would go and eat at Martha's cafeteria when they left to go to their towns in the afternoon and do a little shopping or whatever, but they would be fine like $500 if we got caught together. 500 bucks. Yeah. Seriously. Wow. And if they were late, if they were late for the matches past seven 30, anybody, if they didn't get there past seven 30, they got fined. Amazing. Yeah. it, It was, it was different. And, and God forbid if you ever got caught together. You know. Well, yeah, that's a that's a whole nother subject. We we haven't even yeah. begun to discuss that one. What because would happen? The business and you and I, you and I have. Oh well, they'd either be fired, gone to another territory, or find a big fine. Yeah. And you and I kind of discussed this last week. I told you that when that um, twenty twenty and that Mansfield came out, and I said, Oh yeah, Eddie Mansfield. That almost had a heart coronary. He said, My business is over. It's done. Yeah. You know, he really felt that way is that you, you didn't, that was just something you didn't do. Yeah. Didn't, Dan, Dan has a question for you. Go ahead. Uh, to <laughs> carry the point there too. That was a, when I was a kid to share my age with the group, that was a big deal with, uh, up in the Northeast, uh, the Sheik and Jim Duggan were caught or were arrested to, 
driving together, and that was a because they oh. were in the middle of a feud. That that was a huge deal in yeah. in mainstream news. Like these two big TV stars that hated each other were apparently friends behind the scenes. Oh, 1987. Well, and, and, yep. And what what year? 1987. Uh, about and, April, I yeah. believe it was April of 1987, because it was shortly yeah. after WrestleMania three when Duggan hit the Iron Sheik with the two by four during the match against the Killer Bees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. and we should point out that well, Jim Duggan got fired after that. 88 or 89 that that Mansfield went on 2020. It was actually 1985. It was February of 85 before WrestleMania won. Yeah, sure was, Karen. Much later than that, but okay. Yeah. I mean, he said, Wahoo said, our business is over. It's done. Yeah. You know, if if I may. Go ahead. I was going to say, if I may, we were discussing previously. We were talking about wrestlers and fans understanding the past. All these dates in the 80s, uh, one of the bigger experiences, they, there was a local event. This was 95 because they were, uh, I think it was Slamboree 95. Wahoo had a Legends match against Dick Murdoch. Mm-hmm. And he was a. Uh, that was uh, really the last time he wrestled anything on TV. That was kind of the end. Yeah. But the the what I was saying is they had a, a local. This was '95. The buildup for that being I guess late '94. You know, you had they were in the WCW was in the midst of the I think it was the Faces of Fear storyline, which was kind of almost I don't want to say silly, but the, the the WWF had embraced the new generation, and you had hockey players and turkeys and plumbers, and you know you you had the lowest draws in 30 years, and it was in the local papers. Wahoo was the guest. At, an, at a local show, as an indie show, sold out the arm, uh, Salvation Army Center. You know, you, you, you uh-huh. were in an era when the average person stopped caring about wrestling and just putting Wahoo's name on the flyer, three, four, five hundred people show up like that. Because, because when Wahoo wrestled, and I don't care what anybody says about this, when he wrestled, you didn't know if it was real or if it wasn't. Right. Yeah, because he's going to give you. I told you last week, he's not going to look like a fool. If you're not going to sell, he's going to make you sell. Yeah, exactly. uh, They call it player chops. Wahoo's one started chopping them. They're Wahoo chops, and it's become now the player chop. But whatever. Um, (laughs) I mean, that's what he did. He told me I don't look good punching, and not many people do. There, the only Dick Slater was the only person that. I ever saw that really honestly made a punch look real. Honest to God. My in my yeah. thoughts. Dickie Slater. And I don't even know whatever has happened to him. But um he was the only one that made a punch look real. Up uh, and Wahoo said, I'm not gonna do what doesn't look like I'm giving at my hall and I'm better and I'm better at a chop. Well, I'm seeing him break their chest open. I mean yeah. Flair's chest would be broken open because he'd hit you so hard. And he would, yeah. I mean, he was rough. He might not mean to hit you so hard, but then, like I said, but but if you but you learned real quick, you sold for Wahoo, or you are you gonna be made to sell? And it wasn't it wasn't a shoot on you, it wasn't a being mean on you, but you're gonna work, or you're not gonna make me look stupid. You know, Karen, yeah. Wahoo was one of those guys that, and they tell me you either really liked him or you didn't. There was no middle ground with Wahoo McDaniel. You either loved the guy 
or you didn't. The people who didn't love him or like him generally feared him. Did he carry that persona with him, or or was that no, something that? If no, uh, the way I would put it, and I'm just going to be blunt with you, the sure. way I would put it, people who didn't like him couldn't carry his jock strap and were probably jealous. <laughs> okay. You won't get I'm an serious. argument from me, Karen. Absolutely. No, serious. I mean, that that's about the way I say it. You could not help but like him. He was a likable person. And like I said, he would do anything for anybody, especially the underdog, the person who, who I had, I, and I can't remember this wrestler's name. He worked mid-Atlantic and Wahoo was a booker. And he was talking about doing this and doing this and doing this. And Wahoo sat him down He said, told, and told him, and he's told me this. I can't think of his name right now. He said, listen, you're never going to be a main event guy. You're not going to be a semi-main. You're a middle of the card on down. He said, but if you will listen to what I'm telling you, you will have a 20-year career. You will make good money. You will support your family, and you will do it. And this guy told me, I listened to him. I stepped back, mm-hmm. and I thought he's exactly – I mean, in other words, this guy wasn't, didn't have the Ric Flair charisma, didn't have the, and Wahoo told him the truth. He would be very blunt with what he thought about you. Sure. And this guy told me, I took his, his honest opinion and I stayed right there. And I, I worked till I was 40 something years old and I bought a house in Charlotte. I paid for it. I had a good life. And I can't think of what his name is. He probably knows me if he hears me talking about him. It wasn't Arn Anderson, was it by any chance? Who? Arn Arn Anderson sounds like something Arn oh, Anderson. No. no, Arn went. You know, Arn went all the way. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about this was a prior to uh, this was a, a a middle of the card. Maybe George South uh, or Gene Ligon. Or... Called under, underneath guy. It wasn't George South either? No. Uh, it was what we called an underneath guy, which I don't like that. Carpenter. Yeah. Call him an underneath guy. You know. Yeah. We didn't use that term. A A team. A strength. A what do they say? A team. Yeah, the the A team, the B team. Yeah. What did they didn't use that back then? They yeah. just said the under guy and the main eventers. That's right. what they called them back. You know, the A lister. They didn't call them A listers. A listers. I mean, yeah, they didn't call. I never heard that phrase until maybe the Miz, an A lister. They didn't call them that. What hey, else Karen, do you want to know? Karen, this is Mike Messier again. <laughs> Um, you know, you were speaking about five minutes ago about Ric Flair and Wahoo and, and their relationship. And I recall that just before Jim Crockett promotions really took off, uh, kind of like in the summer of 85, there was a program late 84, early 85, they called it the super feud. And on one side you had Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. And then later on, Dusty Rhodes kind of got in there and took Steamboat's spot against Tully Blanchard and Wahoo McDaniel. And Wahoo turned heel for about yes. eight or ten months. And oh, the way I was, let me just get there for a second. But I remember there was a match, a strap match, I want to say in either Charlotte or Greensboro, that was the main event of something called Silver Star 85, which I don't even know was ever videotaped or released on videotape. But the main event was Wahoo McDaniel versus Ric Flair in an Indian strap match for the world title. And I, I just don't know if that match has ever been released on video. I wish it was. 
But I, I just want to, you kind of got to the answer I, of my question is how did Wahoo feel about going heel for that eight or 10 months? I, I'm sure that there's a match, a strap match between them did take place. I don't really ever remember seeing it. Um, I, someone actually, and I, I was there during this. It was, they would go one hour with Broadway's. They would just yeah. absolutely kill each other. It was, it was awesome. I mean, again, nobody could do what they did together um, yeah. or, or Greg, or Greg Valentine. Now I've seen oh, the yeah. tapes of him sad, but I didn't come into the picture until after the um, plane crash and his dad was already paralyzed. Greg's dad. So yeah. I never actually saw him in person wrestle, but I know him and Greg gave it all. Um, well, you know, Karen, right, so they, Mike met, mentioned, he feels, uh, he's, he's talking about what, um, what, oh, he hates, he despised being a heel. Okay. He had a hard yeah. time yeah. being a You know, Karen, play. Mike mentioned that, that Indian strap match. Well, there was yeah. one very infamous Indian strap match that Wahoo did have against, uh, in fact, he had a program that culminated in two Indian strap matches against superstar Billy Graham. And I was wondering if you have any knowledge of that. Uh, and they are both on film and both available on YouTube. Uh, I was wondering if you had any uh, insight as to uh, what Wahoo thought about superstar Graham because we've heard that he could sometimes be a little difficult to work with. Superstar Billy Graham? Yeah. Uh, say this, if Wahoo ever had any problem with him, I would have heard about it. I don't imagine Wahoo had much problem with anybody. Why uh, was I that? Was it, was it because he was respected or feared? Probably a little of both. I was going to say, or both. <laughs> a little of both. Um, he, he came home one night when we were in Minneapolis, and he said, Ventura, you'll love this. Ventura had sent him a message over, please don't be too tough on him because I just ate the pizza. <laughs> While he's sending the message out, look out, MF, it's coming. Oh, shit. <laughs> so in other words, he, he just sent him a message over to be easy on you because that, that was the worst thing you could do. You know, that was yeah. the worst thing in the world you could do. You ain't going to be easy on me. Right. So, Go ahead, Dan. I was going to ask you. Uh, asking me about him being a uh, heel. It was hard. Yeah, she didn't get to answer that question fully. What was what was her his feelings? Wahoo. He, why did he hate being a heel? He didn't. Why, why did he hate it so much? The fans were mad at him. He couldn't take that. He couldn't oh, yeah. take it when he a good guy and somebody pulled his feathers wow. i mean he hated yeah he, hated it when he, was, he could not tolerate the fans not liking him he yeah. really didn't like being a heel at all if at you all. don't know the history of wahoo mcdaniel let me give you the smarten you up a little bit wahoo was almost always a baby face and he was instantly over from the moment he burst onto the scene one of the things he didn't like in life was not being liked. He and that transcended the ring. Am I right, Karen? He he That's liked true. being liked. He didn't he didn't like being unliked by people. Well, he had been cheered since high school playing football. 
He's been cheered. Everybody liked him. Everybody wanted to be around him. So you take it that away. Well, then you've got a real, I mean, it's volatile in its own self, but you've got a really volatile situation when you, when he thinks all these fans don't like him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, Tully, sure. Tully, I'm telling you, I, I've watched a lot of him. Tully was the best heel there ever was. Tully had that, that class act, whatever it was, condescending attitude that just was fabulous. He could just yeah. be a butt. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it didn't bother somebody like him. Yeah. You know, you know what, Karen? I got to tell you something. We talk quite often. Karen, I have to tell you something. There's a guy in in your favorite organization, AEW, there's a guy there named MJF that reminds me an awful lot of Tully. He does me too. Yes, he does. He does mm. me too. He has that little cocky attitude. I like that. Let me ask you a question yeah. along those lines. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, people being reminiscent of other people. When you see uh, wrestlers of like, say, the last 10, 15 years. Is there anyone that's hit you as reminding you of Wahoo in any way? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can throw in somebody. If no. you don't mind. Okay. Go, go ahead, ahead, Dan. Uh, I think that was Mike that had that idea. I had a, I had a thought on that. Oh, I'm sorry. I had okay, a thought on that, Karen. There's ahead, a guy... Mikey. There's a guy, it's not a perfect fit by any means, but it's a guy who is a legit tough guy, may not look like it, but he is. Kevin Owens reminds me just a, just a bit of Wahoo. Really? In that this is the type of guy that you might underestimate, but if you were to get into a bar fight with Kevin Owens, uh, he'd knock your block off. And I think that Wahoo might have had a more traditional tough guy presence than Kevin Owens. Yeah, and Wahoo would kick yeah. the shit out of you. But I think I've, I've met Kevin yeah. Owens in person. He's a soft-spoken and a funny guy. He has that Canadian sense of humor. But his look, yeah. he looks like a just a, a chubby, regular guy at the bowling alley. Like, but I'm Kevin, telling you, Kevin Owens think, is legit. Yeah, well, what we said, when my friends wanted me to meet Wahoo, and I said, I don't want to meet a wrestler. Come on, you know, and um, I don't want to meet a wrestler. And they insisted. And Wahoo McDaniel was not the prettiest man in the world. I know that. But there was just this persona. This, I mean, he had me in a minute because he could just. And I and I told uh, I've told you last week that I was an adopted child of older parents, so I acted older than a twenty-four year old did. Right. But he had this something that just. I don't know. It was just, and, and I thought he did not brag. I did not know he had records at Oklahoma that had never been broken. I didn't know he played football. I didn't know none of this until right. people would bring it up in front of me. He didn't yeah. go brag his accomplishments. And see, that impresses me. I don't like right. a bragger. I don't like somebody tells me how great they are or how much money they got or what they can do. I can't stand it. It really, and I know it's because of him, but, um, I, I don't know. I'd have to meet Kevin Owens. I, I was not really the first time I saw him. I really wasn't that impressed. But he's a hung on. 
and I'm like, you know, he can wrestle, and he does seem yeah. to have a, a a medium effect. You know what I'm saying? And sure. He, I don't know how to say this. If you have that medium effect, you're not too high on your horse, or you're not too low on your horse. Yeah. You probably last a long time. You'll probably last more than. Long That's than probably. You know what, Karen? You probably latched onto something just now. That mm-hmm. might be the key to his success. I think mm-hmm. that that because of what you just said, that mm-hmm. might be why people connect with him. He reminds them of the average guy, like the uh, the underdog, kind of like yeah. a guy like them. Now, Dan's yeah. got a question for you, Karen. Okay. Okay. To uh, a quick point first to bounce off, that was actually something he's still known for being unique was he was a just an extremely likable tough guy he could go he could bounce the territories and be a huge draw everywhere he went in ways that other big faces couldn't because it was just he connected with everybody on a level no other wrestlers did at the time but i guess um to go off the to go off the question uh i think it was eddie graham uh i i might be misquoting who had said it, but somebody in that, in that era said that when it comes to wrestling, you always have a first love and a true love in, in all the feuds and the legendary matches and everything. Did, did Wahoo ever have somebody that he just absolutely bend over backwards, go out of his way to work with, look forward to working with, talk about working with, did he have a favorite person, a a true love of wrestling as they would say? Great question. I would say it'd be Valentine and Flair. I wouldn't say one or the other. But now he he trained Flair. You know that, right? Yes. In Minneapolis. He pretty much trained him. Um, And then Valentine, he wrestled his dad. So I would think if you had to say, I'm going to the match, I'm having a good time tonight. I'm, I'm not stressed. I'm not upset. I'm not, you know, it would be that. You know, it would be one of those yeah. two or equally those two. I don't that there would be anybody else that he would think that um, would be as easy. Piper would have come along and start, and um, Steamboat would have come along um, as my third and fourth. But I think it, the easiest matches he would probably say he had would be with Flair and with Steam, with um, Valentine. Is that Go what ahead, you're Mike. asking me? Yeah, yeah, no, that that's that's. Exactly the question I was going for. That's that's good to know. Yeah. I wanted yeah, to I uh say that. Hi Karen, this is Mike Messier again, and I wanted to yeah. make sure that all the fans out there, especially the younger fans, I want them to make sure that they know two two matches they could readily find available online or on the WWE network to watch Wahoo in action that I think were really good matches that maybe just as a starting point. I'll actually I'll I'll mention three. Uh, chronologically mentioned too, Mikey. Well, the first one is Starcade '83. Wahoo McDaniel tag teamed with Mark Youngblood it was really quite a good tag team, and they fought uh, Dick Slater and Cowboy Bob Orton Jr., which is Randy Orton's father. Yeah, and uh, it's a great uh, tag team match on the first half of that card. Really got the crowd into that show, and uh, I won't say who won or who lost, but. Uh, th- that tag team of Orton and Slater is uh, what Arn Anderson says is what got him into professional wrestling as a fan. Uh, well, the next Orton, man, Orton, Orton is a movable worker, and 
Slate and um, and did you say Slater? Yeah, Dick Slater and Cowboy Slater. Bob Ward yeah. Jr. Slater, Slater, Slater could throw punches. He's the one that made it look real. He's the only one I've ever seen made it look real, and I just say yeah. that. Yes, and Orton, this, Orton could work. Orton was great, and I mean, you can see yeah. that his son Randy Orton got everything from his dad mm-hmm. and improved upon it. And then the next one is we've mentioned this one before. Everyone mentions it: Magnum TA versus Wahoo in the cage, and in, in, I think March yeah. of '85. Uh, but then the yeah. match that really I want to make make sure people know about this one because you talked about the Ric Flair Wahoo McDaniel feud. There's a match, I believe it was from a show in Florida called Battle of the Belts 1. Uh, these yeah. Battle of the Belts shows were aired on uh, Florida television, I believe, for free. Uh, the local networks would pick up these shows, I think either from the Eddie Graham Sports Complex or the Tampa Sportatorium or something. But yeah, I believe Wallace it's... Walk- the on there at the time. He was the booker during Battle of the Belts. We had yep. be- and yeah. I, lived, I was at Battle of the Belts 1 and 2. I have okay. jackets, the fat jackets with Battle of the Belts on the back, mine and his. Wow. He had That's awesome. That's really cool. But go ahead with your story. There, he and Slayer had a match that was incredible. I want to say, and I, I'm, I'm not going to give away the results, but I think they main evented the first Battle of the Belts, uh, Rick mm-hmm. and Wahoo, for the world title. Mm-hmm. And yeah. talk yeah. about a match that feels like a real competitive fight. Not a choreographed oh, yeah. Kenny Omega in Japan with the doll fun fest, yeah. but two guys who actually believe in professional wrestling and what it stands for having yeah. a real match for a championship that actually meant something, a touring yeah. world title match. If if the fans want to find the best of Wahoo, the, the older Wahoo, perhaps, uh, in the mid-80s. He, go ahead. He was, I mean, he was older then. Go ahead. Well, I'm just saying that because Wahoo started wrestling, I think, in the mid-60s. So this is a guy who's been yeah. wrestling for 20 years at this point. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, just just fantastic stuff. You talked about watching older wrestling. I'm, I'm watching Super Clash 4 on the WWE Network, the AWA Super Clash 4, which I believe was in 1991. And I think Wahoo McDaniel is in the main event World Tag Team title match, which I haven't gotten mm-hmm. to yet, Karen, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. So Wahoo's well, career spanned in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was 50-something years old then. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, well. Oh, go ahead, Dan. I was going to say his, uh, I guess it was closed circuit back then before pay-per-view. His first closed circuit match was in 65 and his last pay-per-view, the one I mentioned earlier, Slambury was in 95. So, I mean, you have wow. 60, I mean, yeah. in, in an age when, when, I mean, in the eighties into the early nineties in an age when wrestlers were broken down, beaten in, in oh, some yeah. cases had passed on, he was still one of the biggest draws in the business. That's well, I think, who always took care of yeah. Well, Wahoo, he, he really did, Karen. He he was, you know, he, Wahoo. If you looked at him, didn't look like a physical specimen, but he could go. <laughs> Honey, he he did go. He he. Oh, I know. He wrestled. Think about this. Back in there, they wrestled seven days a week, and twice on Sunday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He might have day off every three weeks. Do you think he needed to go really work out to have longevity? Oh, and shoot. I mean, he might have to have had big muscles and popped up muscles and stuff, but in, to be able to go a one hour Broadway, the, oh, he sure. really didn't have to. He was working every day physically. 
Now, yeah. the man was the booker in Charlotte. He would be at home. He would get home after drinking at the bar at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning after, from the town. And then he would be up. He would run to the office and do an hour or two of the booking. And then he went to the golf course. Or he went fishing <laughs> until four o'clock. He'd come home in the afternoon, take a bath, shower, and go to the town. And I'd be looking at him like, when am I ever going to see you? Well, well I, I was going to ask you, Karen, when the hell did you ever see him? <laughs> I never saw him. I never saw him. Maybe um, that's every, why you stayed married so long. <laughs> that's probably right. Somewhere between three o'clock in the morning and seven o'clock. So, I mean, but I'd be sewing all night. I'd be sewing until whenever he got home, yeah. you know, or whatever. Um, well, you know, Karen, we, we've talked about, yeah, we, we've talked about wrestling. Well, let's talk about Wahoo, the person, and let's get into some story time. So take me, take me on a, uh, take me on a ride here. Okay. Well, let me think just a minute. Um, I know you're going to do a upcoming, a women in wrestling or girls in wrestling or that sort of thing. Ladies' Night Part okay, Two. Well, okay. Well, I'll share a little story with you, and I'm very proud of this story because I made some very good friends. We were in Minneapolis. I hadn't been married to Wahoo very long, and I'd never even seen snow, much less piled up on the side of the roads that turned black. You know what I mean? Yeah. And sure. uh, we lived in a, a dime in Minnesota, and we were in a, like a condo or whatever. And the female wrestlers sent, you know, by moolah, the way they did, because they went to different territories, too. Yeah. She would send four female wrestlers that would stay for a month, and then they would go to the towns and wrestle each other, and that would, they would be there for a month before they'd go somewhere else. Well, Wahoo said, got them a room next to us at our condo. So I had the greatest time, and I want to say this, this was one of the most fun, greatest times I had being married to him was with the four female wrestlers that were there. And they were Velvet McIntyre, Judy Martin, Joyce Grable, and Wendy Richter. And we had a blast. (laughs) And Wendy Richter is the one, because like I said, I was 24. She's the one that got me working out, going to the gym. I went with her. She showed me how to work out. She's a and cool girl, and I saw them all in 2011. I got to see all of them. Now, I saw Judy last August. I did see Judy. Um, and I've seen Joyce in the last few years. Wendy, I haven't seen since 2011. But we had such a blast. And Wahoo would drive to the towns. Well, since they were going, I got to go, too. And uh, we would drive to towns, and, and I can't remember if it was Judy or Joyce said they would never forget this. I said, Wahoo, I got a peep. Well, he ignored me right on down the road. said, Wahoo, i got to pee. Went on down there. And Joyce said, all of a sudden, I looked at him and said, Wahoo, I've got to piss now. And he went, oh, okay. And he found us a place. She said, I will never forget that. It's like he totally, until you've just gotten his face. He, <laughs> he, just was, he was somewhere else. You know, he was somewhere else. He was driving with all these women down the road. That's but funny. That, those, those are like times that you'll never forget in your lifetime yeah you know you'll never forget this and piper have i talked about piper at all not much not yet okay all right piper came to the mid-atlantic i don't know where he even came from portland oregon uh, well yeah i know but i don't know where all he had wrestled prior to that but he came and he he was was wrestling for don owens in portland okay 
and came right, to the well, mid-Atlantic. I just, I just thought he was the coolest guy, and I loved his wife, Kitty. And, um, and they were very, um, I don't know, they, they weren't real, they weren't quite the social butterflies that say that me and Wahoo were, or Beth and Rick were, the party animals, or the so and so. But Piper was, and he brought, have I told you about when he brought Wahoo home one night? And I no. don't really know him. Okay, well, this is a good story. He brought Wahoo home one night, and it was very cold. And there was another wrestler in the car with him, and he had driven while Wahoo was drunk. And he came, and he knocked very nicely on the door. And he said, he had never met me. He said, Miss McDaniel, I, I, Wahoo's out there in the car, and he's drunk, and I'm going to leave him out there. I said, no, fuck you're not. It's 32 degrees. You got him drunk. You're bringing him in this house. So they did. Him and the other wrestler, I didn't take anything off of anybody. Him and the other wrestler drug him in the house with his feet under him and laid him on the couch. And I said, okay, you can go now. Well, the next day, oh my God, Wahoo had gotten up. We were in an apartment. Wahoo had gotten up and had bounced off of all the walls before he made it to the bed. And there was blood everywhere, and I was oh. all over the walls. It looked like there had been a murder. And, uh, <laughs> oh my god! And we got there. It was. I got up the next morning. I said, "Okay, well, there's blood everywhere now. We've got to have the walls painted." You know, it was just like a matter of fact thing. <laughs> it was Unbelievable! It was a sitcom. We got to have the apartment painted. But Piper, after that, we Piper and I got to be friends, and um. And, Ki- and Kitty was having babies at that time, and he called Wahoo Four Feathers. And so I nicknamed his firstborn child, uh, Not Yet Feathers. Because <laughs> Wahoo called Piper One Feather, because he called Wahoo Four Feathers. And we named his daughter, who I think her name was Anastasia, his first daughter. We called yeah. her Not Yet Feather. I have some real, you know, stories you know i we moved so many times and and wahoo would disappear and me and the wrestlers would be moving the shit in the house and i'd say where did he go and he'd come back with donuts and coffee for us or something you know <laughs> you know karen, from you, uh, I drove the damn cars, he flew. You karen you, when when you're uh in that business you know you get to know people in the ring and you get to know them out of the ring yeah uh, who was Wahoo's uh, favorite person to hang out with outside of the business? Maybe somebody not even connected with the business. It was, no, who was his best it, friend? They were golfers and fishermen. They were golfers and fishermen. Uh, Joe Mullis from Charlotte, he fished with a lot, freshwater fishing, um, golfing. He went to the golf course and played golf. If he wasn't going fishing all day before he drove to the town and wrestled. He fished all day, or he played wow. golf all day. Now, I was welcome to go. Don't get me wrong. I was welcome to go. Uh, yeah. I wasn't a great offer, so I didn't really care to go to play golf. Yeah. <laughs> Although my son, Owen, is phenomenal, and he's not even had any lessons, hardly. Uh, well, was that his awesome. thing to do to, to relax, to wind down? Well, I, I want a little uh, insight into the human being. We... We know well, a lot about Wahoo the wrestler. I want to okay. get to know who the guy was. The guy had hobbies. He had a lot. 
he was a whole lot different than most of them. He had a life. You know what I mean? He cared yeah, about other absolutely. people, and he wanted he wanted to go play golf. He wanted to go be in fishing tournaments. He wanted to do all that kind of stuff. He grew up that way. The family was like that. They all hunted and fished. My honeymoon was spent in Del Rio, Texas, and me slinging him off the back of the trailer. He taught me how to back a trailer and into the water, and we'd go catfishing all day. I came home from my honeymoon with my hands cut all the pieces from skinning catfish. I mean, he had a life. His life was not wrestling. That was exactly. his business. And so few of them, and it's so sad to me, because so yeah. few of them know nothing else but that. Rick Flair's one of them. Um, yeah. I don't know a lot of the younger people, but they don't have that. I mean, they might have working out in the gym. Yeah. But they don't have social, I mean, his it was it, I don't say it was easy for him to leave wrestling or easy for him to leave football, but he had a life, you know. And yeah, Karen, he, did, he got sick. He got when he got sick. He said, "Karen, you don't understand. I've I've done more than most people could ever even dream about doing in a lifetime." Yeah, and he was right. He had. You know, Karen, um, you you give me an insight into a guy who who lived really a, a fullness of life that few people really get to enjoy. What did the two of you guys do together? Oh, uh, we went fishing together or we cooked and had parties and watched football. There you Those go. Our, we, we cooked a lot and we had parties a lot and we watched a lot of football. Um, you know, we loved, I mean, I loved watching football as well as he did, uh, and still do. Yeah. And, um, we went fishing a lot. I mean, I caught striper at Clark Hill Dam and, and um, a 36-pound striper. He actually took the Road Warriors striper fishing. Both of them, hawk and animal, both caught 30-something pound stripers. Oh, they I would have paid to see that. I would have paid to see that. Well, my uh, my co-host Dan has a, a question for you. Go ahead, Dan. You take okay. it for a bit. I was wondering, going on more of the... You were talking about the the life and, and sports and everything. I'm just curious. I mean, you're talking a, a multi-sport athlete, one of the best talents he's ever had. And obviously, you know, you talked with the success of fishing and golf. I mean, was there anything he wasn't good at? Like, it's just everything just seems he's just one of those. Basketball. Maybe it's part of the appeal. Did you say basketball? Basketball. 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 Really? His mom told me. <laughs> you you answered that me. question quickly. I, I I feel there's a his, story here somewhere. Yes. His mother told me we were so embarrassed we would not go to his games. <laughs> <laughs> he could not dribble the basketball. He could not do it. So You mean there it. was no. actually something the great Wahoo McDaniel was not good at? <laughs> not good at basketball. Mm -mm. Wow. His mother told me that we were embarrassed. <laughs> we were embarrassed. And you've got to remember, oh and I think I told you this the last time, <laughs> his actions were from his mother. His dad was a five foot seven Indian, looked like walked off the reservation, which he did walk off the reservation. Um, quiet man. His mother was a, you know, five ten. left. That was tall for a female German, yeah. you know, and she was very outspoken. And, and when she got upset, everybody knew it. But she loved her, and she loved me. She really cared a lot. She liked me, and that was a good feeling. 
but um, no, she told me, we, no, we didn't go to, no, we were too embarrassed. So apparently he couldn't dribble the basketball. I don't know. Oh, man. But he could do, now he could have been a professional baseball player too. I mean, he was that well. He did that well in, in high school. Hey, you, mentioned, you mentioned in part one that obviously the, the famous anecdote that one of his baseball coaches coming up was George Bush. And that George was, thing, he was yes. yeah, the, mm-hmm. George H.W. That was something he had mentioned before uh, George Bush talking about his old sports days was that Wahoo was one of the best baseball players he'd ever coached. Yeah, he was. He was great. Um, and Wahoo said he remembers Junior and the sister running around the field while his dad was coaching, you know. Yeah. Um, actually, there was a time when he was, I believe, the president, and, and he was in Charlotte, and Flair was there because he was promoting, you know, uh, the president and mm-hmm. Republican. I remember that. And, and <laughs> Flair said, this is funny, <laughs> George Bush walks up to him and said, Where's Wahoo? Isn't he coming? (laughs) (laughs) And Flair said, I don't think so. I think he went fishing. And he did. He went fishing that night. Oh, Oh, that's funny. He did. But, but, I mean, he cared about it. Uh, Another time, we were in Florida, and this is a very true story. Um, Hank Williams Jr. called the office, Eddie Gray in the office, and they wanted Wahoo to come and appear on stage with Hank Williams Jr. He said, I'm not going up there. He'll make me sing or something, and I can't sing. He wasn't going. I said, please, let's go. You don't have to sing. No, he'll want me to sing or something, and I'm not going. And he would he would, he, he would not go to the concert and go on stage with Hank Williams Jr. Because wow. he said, he will make me sing, and I can't sing. I mean, did he realize, of, Karen, did, did Wahoo realize how over he was? No. Uh-uh. uh No, he uh, lived life for him, himself and the people around him. He, he didn't care about all that. I'm really telling you, he really didn't care about that. It was his business, his living, his money, his people that were close to him. His um, People might call him selfish in that. He wanted to do whatever it was that he wanted to do. It didn't matter if you were a famous star or you were somebody else. If he was planning to go fishing that day, he's going fishing. You know, it wasn't it wasn't anything against you, but and people might call that a selfish way, but that was just him. He he didn't think anybody was better than anybody else or less than anybody else. He didn't look at things and people. He had he was different. I'm telling you. He was very different. Well, that was... He was very different. He didn't want anybody to be treated badly. He did not like people to be treated badly. But if you gave him any problem, he would confront you. And he he was always... And my oldest son has gotten... The only two fights he ever got in in school were trying to protect the fat boy, black boy butter from the white boys or the the fat black boy butter from the black boys. I mean, yeah. he, he was the same way in Storm, too. They didn't get in a fight unless it was to protect somebody. They Or, or they were ridiculed or they were, you know, I think that's a, I think that's an attribute for anybody. I'm making him sound like he was the greatest man that ever walked, and he pretty much was. Now, my life, my romantic life as the wife, it wasn't a bed of roses. 
I told you a story last week. It was not a yes, bed of roses. Yeah. But, but I will say this, uh, and I've said this before, a little bit of good is a whole, is better than a whole lot of nothing special. Well, I'll That's tell you what, point. you know, you, uh, you must've done something right. And, and for that matter, he must've done something right. You guys were married for 22 years. Yes, and, and at, at a period of time, we lived in two different houses around the corner from each other. I mean, there was a period of time. There were a lot of times that we, we were shook up, you know, or he yeah. didn't act right or things weren't right. I'm not, I'm telling you, it was not a bed of roses. But he knew in the end I'd be the one that was there, you know? Yeah, absolutely, sure. But, Go ahead, and God, He would not take care of himself. His way to, to lower his blood pressure was bleeding at night. Wow. He would not take blood pressure medicine for, you know, now I'm a nurse. So you, blood pressure medicine now doesn't have the uh, the bad side effects on a man like it did during those days. And right. I'm sure you boys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, he sure. He take the blood pressure medicine because it affected his manhood. You understand me? Absolutely. So uh, sure. he wouldn't take it. So his way of... of uh, main of getting his blood pressure down was bleeding every night and that's the truth i mean he may not have realized that but that brought it he said i don't have a really bad headache well he'd get through bleeding at night and he wouldn't have a bad headache because he had lowered lowered his blood pressure yeah you know and uh, after a while that high blood pressure and then it, at 40 some almost 50 he got had got diabetes well those two things wreak havoc on your on your uh kidneys and he ended up on dialysis at 55 Mm-hmm. You know, all black people and American Indians, bless their hearts, they're ridden with high blood pressure and diabetes. Yeah. So more so than Caucasians or or other races. And, uh, and that, you know, I, I understand. I understand. It was a different time. Yeah. Dan, you got so, final questions for Karen? Well, I was just curious. You, Angela, you asked her about... Uh, if he understood how over he was, I'm curious no. in the the other side of it that you you mentioned very colorfully that the people that had issues with him were so beneath his talent. I mean, you look through the the the, the virtual who's who of the great names of wrestling: Eddie Graham and Jim Cornette and Dory Funk and Fritz von Erich. All these guys have have would would tell you in a heartbeat. Wahoo McDaniel goes on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling. You know, it, you got, I mean, golf and fishing and sure. drinking and friends and parties and cooking. It just, I mean, did he understand? I mean, he, he even, even maybe if he didn't click with the fans, did he get, did he understand that he was the greatest? Like he was, I mean, did, did it really, did he understand how good he was? If he did, he did not brag about it. If he did, we didn't discuss that. I mean, at his service for his, think about this now. I mean, um, my son Zach was 12 years old, I think, when he died, 12 or 14. And we were at his service, and he got, everybody got up and spoke. Uh, Terry Funk got up and shared a story. There were all kinds of stories. We were in Midland, Texas. And my son got up there, and he said, I just want you all to know I had a great dad. He said, um. How many how many kids do you know have a dad that set up a cardboard box in the living room and let you shoot a pellet gun at it? <laughs> so his importance his 
he didn't know it. He didn't know it. And if he did know he was great, he didn't he didn't look at himself that way. Yeah. He did think- he just did what, what he did and he and and as I still said, you may call it selfish because he lived his life for and did whatever he wanted to do. Good for him. You know, and if you yeah. fit in with it, if you fit in with it, and me included, which I did, I fit in real well. Um, then, then it was all okay. I mean, he, you know, he was. Now, when he got sick and I had the children, I I was working and he was keeping kids. Storm was like not even a year old, and he called my girlfriend. He said, "I can't call Karen. She's at work." And my girlfriend comes over there, and she he's got Storm, and Storm's just screaming. He was probably having colic or whatever. And she said, this big old man's got this little tiny baby in his arms. Like, what the heck do I do with this? Yeah. <laughs> and he calmed him down, you know. I mean, he went, it didn't really matter whatever stage in life he was at. He was a really good human being. Yeah. You know? Sure. And I put like this we, don't Please don't get me wrong. We had knockdown drag out fights. It, oh, it was sure. Not a romantic perfect but i look back and he he had more respect for me and i had more respect for him the longer we were together and i wasn't perfect either yeah well not quite <laughs> not quite well for him you were <laughs> mikey messier final questions or comments for karen I, I guess it's a comment karen because i i uh, i love hearing these personal stories and and kind of gaining a new understanding and respect for the wrestlers' wives of that era who really had to tolerate some craziness. And kudos to you and, and all these wrestlers' wives for, for allowing these men to go out and entertain us uh, while you kind of kept the home front. But I just wanted to rattle off, as the wrestling fan that I am, some of the, the better opponents for Wahoo. If people want to do further research... Uh, Terry Funk, Abdul the Butcher yeah. and Wahoo probably mm-hmm. dug, you know, craters into each other's foreheads with forks yeah. and pencils. The, the coat hanger, the coat hanger. Um, they almost lost oh, the yeah. over the coat hanger. Oh, my God. Uh, Terry Funk, Abdul the Butcher. Um, yeah. uh, Tully Blanchard, you mentioned, but he and Wahoo had some great fights. Yeah. Um, they had, they had, and Tully is a great worker, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's a great worker. If you look at you watch him, he he was phenomenal. Yep, and so, uh, and if, can I mention one wife that was probably is it and who was my friend? Oddly enough, and and you're going to think this is ironic, and I don't think I mentioned this in the first show, but I first left home and moved to Atlanta, and there were two girls. We worked in a bar at I twenty and Camel Road, uh, in Atlanta. And their name were Michelle and Terry Rubio, and they were from Tampa, Florida. Well, we both we all got burnt out on the bar at the same time. I said, "Well, I'm moving to Raleigh where my cousins live," and they said, "Well, we're going to move back to Tampa." Well, eight years later, I'm sitting at a wrestling match in Tampa, Florida, and this girl nudges my knee, and I I look. She said, "Do you have the time?" And she asked me what time it was so she could look me in the face. And this was eight years later. And she said, is your name Karen? And I looked at her, I said, is your name Michelle? And I said, what are you doing here? She said, we're at a wrestling match, right, in Tampa. I said, what are you doing here? She said, I'm married to Dusty Rhodes. What are you doing here? I said, I'm married to Wahoo McDaniel. <laughs> <laughs> is that That's not crazy? Funny. That is she crazy. She and I have been friends 
since way before we even knew what wrestling was. She had moved home to Tampa and met him. And she and I have remained great friends. And I call her a lot of times on Wednesday nights when AEW, well, we text each other. I said, I like this. I like this. I like that. I like this that he did. I'm so proud of Cody because he did this. He stepped out on his own. Yeah. And I tell Cody, mm-hmm. still like it. I'm going to tell Cody you said that. Because, and Dustin was in high school, you know, when right. we were in Charlotte. So I wanted kudos for her because she was the perfect, she was the perfect wrestler's wife. I well, want tell you what, that, that's one person I'd love to have on the show. Oh, Michelle is such a sweet. She's a lot, she's more quiet than I am. I don't know if you'll get too much out of her. <laughs> I know, she's right? Very, <laughs> well, you know, Karen, very, last time you were here, I yes. mentioned to you a story that I heard about okay. Wahoo clearing out a bar. Yeah. Remember that? Well, guess what? Yeah. What? I, you know, I did some homework and I reached out to some friends okay. of mine. And uh, I have Magnum TA coming on next week. Okay. And the week after that, I have an old friend of yours coming on. Somebody that? that ran the roads with Wahoo and somebody, in fact, that was involved in that bar fight with Wahoo. <laughs> that, that when he cleared out the bar, it was in Oklahoma, Oklahoma okay. City. In fact, that person is Sam Houston. Oh, OK. Little Sam. I love it. I, did I say little Sam? I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> and Sam this was what, there that night. Okay, well, and Sam told me the story. He said, What happened? Yeah, what happened was uh, a bunch, they had a show that night, and a bunch of the boys went to a bar. There was a guy there, big old, you know, big mouth, redneck, shooting his mouth off. And the boys were ignoring him, including Wahoo. They just blew him off. Until the guy walked around the bar and got into Wahoo's face. Uh-huh. Okay. You don't do that. Don't well, do that. no, apparently I found out the hard way. You don't do that. Ah. Uh, because do that. the guy proceeded to take his beer bottle, lift it up, and as soon as he did, they knew what was gonna what was happening next. He was right. going to hit Wahoo with a beer bottle. Well, that uh-huh. never happened course uh-uh. because all the boys protected you know their own and sam yeah. said that he ran blocker for wahoo that night <laughs> he remembered the whole oh, story would- and he said that wahoo just went ape shit and cleared the entire place out after everybody was gone it was just the boys left in the bar and they had the whole place to themselves. And Sam Houston told me that story. Well, I believe I totally believe that because it, you just didn't you didn't do that. You that's yeah. just not something you did. What I told you is when you mentioned that to me, I said, "Well, I don't know. My oldest son, I, he just did that a, a few months ago. I don't think you're talking about that." <laughs> and you said it doesn't fall far from the tree. But that again was somebody trying to approach him and start a fight with him. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, the guy I, was shooting his mouth off about how wrestling was fake, and he said, because uh, what does he do? He picks on the biggest guy in the place, right? They always right. do. They always do. Mm-hmm. They always yeah. do. 
Yeah, but the last thing you want to do is pick on the biggest, toughest guy in the place. And that's yeah, the first I thing think, he did. <laughs> so, I think they were looking back, especially back then, looking for a lawsuit, you know. Yeah. Looking for thing. Well, Karen, I'll tell you what, you are an amazing guest. We, uh, this was part two. We're, we're definitely going to have you. You know, we got to have you back because you got so many stories. Oh, you I really can't. do. You, you can't but, shut me up. Uh. <laughs> we got to. <laughs> We got to say good night to you, though, right now. Okay. And, right, you, you. and you have a, a great night, and I'll be in touch with you in, over the next day. Okay. Thank you. All right. I had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. We, I tell you what, okay. every time we have you on, our numbers just go through the roof. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that because I've got a, lot, got a lot more cute stories. I've got a lot more stories you'll enjoy. You, oh, you I know. I can get you in touch with Michelle if you want to give it a shot. But I would I love know. to. Sure. It, okay. it, it ain't going to hurt. Absolutely. Okay. Thank All you, right. and I appreciate you. Thank you take you. care. Take All care. Right, you too. Bye-bye. Good Bye, guys. Care. It was great talking to y'all, too. Great meeting you. Great, great talking week. to you. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was a great interview, guys. It was a lot so of what do you fun. think, Dan? Your your first time out. This is your maiden voyage. What do you think? I think this is everything I thought it was going to be, and I'm very impressed. I appreciate this opportunity. You are quite welcome, Mike Messier. We broke him in good. Yeah, Dan did a great job, and I love that tribute wall. He's he, he's got Tully back there. He's got Bruno. Oh yeah. He's um, yeah. I'm going to ask Dan uh, to pull his camera back so you can see the the whole wall. Ronnie Garvin, one of my favorites. Yeah, Riding look Cole at that. Off. Looks like Billy Gunn, Coco Beware on the upper right. Glacier, who I've met. Uh, yeah, looks he's like, got, it's a, it's a virtual who's who. It really is. Is that Hollywood Hulk Hogan, Gangrel, Sergeant Slaughter, Terry Taylor, Mick Foley, the Papa Shango, or the Godfather? Yeah, and they're all uh, signed. Yes. They're, every one of them are signed. Jake yep. the Snake. I wanted to say, Angelo, for the fans that aren't familiar with Wahoo, he also had great matches with Bruiser Brody. Oh, he sure. Had, he had great matches with Abdullah, like I said. He had great matches with Harley Race. Yeah. And probably the biggest feud of Wahoo McDaniel's career, maybe with the exception of the Greg Valentine feud, uh, Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, they fought for the U.S. title back and forth, yeah. and I think, in 1981. And I think they traded the title four or five times throughout the Carolinas. Mm. The that was uh, Mid-Atlantic and, uh, and Jim Crockett. Correct. In the yep. 81, kind of the, the, the uh, 81 era. So, so a lot mm. of times when people think of Crockett, they think of 85, 86, 87. Yeah. But that promotion was going strong for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to have Karen back on. Like I said, she, she's got so many stories. I mean, you, you, know, you think about... Being married to Wahoo McDaniel for 22 years, and she must have heard everything. Right. She hasn't even gotten into like the, uh, you know, the road stories or you know, traveling with him. That's well, that's, that's a whole that, nother show. That, that's always been yeah. the old, uh, what, what's I guess the old saying is if you want to get, if you want to hear the facts about wrestling, you talk to the wives. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And, you know, and one of the things that I that I wanted to do is I wanted to, um, you know, as I said in the in the first episode as well, you know, I wanted to get to know who Wahoo the man was. You know, we, uh, yes, we had to, of course, 
you know, talk a bit wrestling, you know, because mm-hmm. you can't, how can you, you know, avoid the subject? But I wanted to, to get a feel for who he was as a person. You know, so many wrestling podcasts and programs concentrate, you know, exclusively on the person as a wrestler, and you never get to know who they are as a human being. Right. And that's why I wanted to, you know, to do switch up things a little bit. And so, you know, you guys asked a lot of really good questions, and I'm, uh, I'm, you know, kudos to you. I'm, I'm glad. You know, I'm, and I'm, of course, I'm proud of both of you. Mike Messier has been here before. So what's, uh, what's our buddy Russo doing? Well, you know, Vince. I can't Vince say Ru- that too loud. What's our buddy Russo doing? Uh, we're talking <laughs> about Vince, Vince Russo is doing fine. You know, Vince, Vince recently appeared on the uh, Tough Enough Dark Side of the Ring. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, I'll be honest. Uh, you, know you know what, Mikey? That's a great segue. Let's talk about that. Okay. Let's talk about that. Uh, there is a, a theory going around. Let me run this by you, Mr. Mike Messier. Please do. Because I know how your mind works. Uh-oh. <laughs> which is a scary thought. Yeah, you get <laughs> There's a theory going around. And it's being, the theory is being promoted not only by followers of Vince Russo, but also, quite interestingly, followers of Jim Cornette. Okay. That... Dark side of the ring producers are purposely pitting these two guys against each other to reignite or re-spark a feud, really, that never went away. But they're trying to pit the two of them against each other in a uh, an adversarial fashion. And you know, you know, Jim Cornette. You know, as as well as anybody, but you know, it doesn't take much for Jim <laughs> to go off the handle. You know, what do you think uh, about all this? Well, I guess I guess here's a few ways of looking at it. First off, is what is the payoff? Is is there a payoff when Cornette repeat? I just listened to Cornette say that he's turned down shoot interview sessions with RF video or whoever kayfabe yeah. commentaries for a Cornette versus Russo, two guys in the same room. I can, I can actually, I can absolutely validate that because Rob uh, Feinstein is a dear friend of mine. Right. Say, not, not just turned him down. Jim Cornette has said before that he gets the money. He he gets the quote. How much are you going to pay me now? Call Vince Russo and tell him how much money he lost because I'd said no to this. Like he makes it personal when they offer him the opportunity for those he two. To be always known. makes it personal, Dan. then then can i say this then kind of like when bret hart said for 10 or 15 years i'll never go work for vince mcmahon after what he did to me and my brother and Mm -hmm, my family and then when bret did go to wwe and did a wrestlemania uh, worked match with all the hearts it was the money angelo thank you but guess what Show me the money we lost interest for the most part Mm -hmm. that was it was an empty feeling because the whole promise of Brett hating Vince was he'll never go back to Vince. He'll never work for Vince. Yeah. When, right. when CM Punk came back to WWF or, and the technical thing is, oh, he went to the network, Fox News. He didn't go to WWE. He went to the network for this WWE behind he, the scenes he show. He for Fox Sports. Right. Well, yeah, guess now, what? Yeah, Dan, what is your take on that? You know, we got you here now, so let's... Uh, you know, let's let's hear where your head is at on all this. Well, 
Um, on the Punk side of things, I think that was a huge missed opportunity on Punk side because I mean, you you're literally the show about a show, yeah. And you were one of the hottest acts of the last decade plus. Uh, you, he kept a big social media presence. He had this run in the UFC. He was still popular. There was still a lot of yeah. Willie won't he moments. And he comes back to the, um, the, the under the WWE umbrella on yeah. a show about a show just to come out and say that he doesn't watch wrestling. Like it just felt like such a missed opportunity. I mean, I thought it yeah. was fun that they, the, the, the way they interacted, it was obvious that they didn't know his answers in advance, which I thought was a breath of fresh air that it felt like a real interview and not yeah. the usually like, the 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 overly scripted like the talking smack yeah and stuff the, like that. the canned interview yeah exactly yeah. but but he you had such a missed opportunity there that, oh, that if he was willing to go time. back to that umbrella there's so many other things even a backstage segment i mean you go to uh a wrestlemania where they always have the random backstage segment 10 right. 15 legends just yeah. show up and and a few you know you put him on screen for a few seconds mm-hmm. in a backstage segment and he yeah. doesn't have to talk to anybody or do anything you bring him back for for that it just felt flat to me so here's my yeah. point guys the point is that with brett going back to to wwe or going back to vince or fighting vince or fighting mm-hmm. sean cm punk coming back to wwe the promise was in the anticipation Mm-hmm. The anxiety, exactly. will this ever happen? And the, the payoff was nothing. With Vince yeah. Russo, you've got a guy who I believe just turned 55 or 60. With Jim Cornette, you've got a guy who's, I think, in his early 60s or 55 years old. Not taking away anything yeah, from him. Jim's 58, Vince is 59. Right. Mm-hmm. But if these it's two only guys... Right. But if the point is, are we expecting these guys to have a shoot fight, a shoot debate? It, well, that's the question, Mikey. That that's really the the crux of it is what's you, you know you what's the payoff is what I'm uh, yeah what's the payoff is uh, very aptly put you know is it what ratings is it notoriety is it to get the show uh, boosted somehow uh, well if I can make a quick comparison there was a sure. documentary a couple of years back. Um, where they were, it, they were following the careers of Frank and Ken Shamrock, who openly right. had 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 a falling out. Yeah. And the big finale of the of this docu series was the two of them sitting face to face in a room for the first time. Yeah. And it basically amounted to, it basically amounted to, you know, yeah, we were both dicks, and it, it was very, it was very it anticlimactic. Was I mean, you, you obviously they weren't going to fight, but oh, you expected yeah. some kind of, of of revelation or something. And it was basically like, yeah, I hate you. You know, we kind of still hate each other, but we, we did this for that. I, I mean, Dan, short you, of, you know short what of, it is, Dan? You, I'm, I'm going to surmise this for you. You know what it was? It was the proverbial fart in church. <laughs> it was very anticlimactic. Right. Nothing ever came of it. So my question to these First of all, you know, you don't you give a wrestling fan, especially a devotee of Russo and Cornette, this much room and they're going to squeeze it open like this. Right. And so what what comes of it? You're not going to get an interview with the two of them. Forget it. You're, You're not going to have one guy concede to the other. Forget that. Right. So why even why pit them against each other? 
I think for what in, purpose? Well, the only thing I can even think of would either be, and this is just you know the media in me, either a ratings boost, program visibility, uh, some kind of um, uh, you know mainstream effect. I, I don't, Mikey. I'll, I'll give you. With? I'll give you the one-word answer, Angelo. Ready? Good. Conflict. It's because what sells programming. Conflict. If, yeah. If I'm writing a book and, and I've written a novella, the distance yeah. from Avalon novella, I've written about twenty screenplays, feature length, and I've written probably fifty short scripts, stage plays, etc. The number one word in dramatic storytelling, whether it's documentary or fiction, or a hybrid of both. Yeah. Whether it's film or stage or novel, it's conflict. Very and well, if yeah. you have two guys, Vince Russo, who represents the brand, and Jim Cornette, who represents himself, and if they can bring another layer of conflict, here was the edgy guy who loved Jerry Springer, Vince Russo. Here was the traditionalist who loved Jim Crockett promotions and uh, Memphis and Mid-South, Jim Cornette, yeah. who came from the 80s mindset. So mm -hmm. you've got the mid-80s versus the mid-90s. They were under the same Titan Tower. You had the Southerner, yeah. you had the New Yorker, and you had conflict, conflict. The what, conflict. what Mikey? New the Yorker. New Yorker? New Yorker. <laughs> so okay, if you have... So we've got, <laughs> we've got two viewpoints here. It's conflict. We have... And it's a very interesting dichotomy here, Okay. This right. is how fucked up wrestling is, okay? I've got a Yankee living in the South. I've got another Yankee living in the Deep South. Yeah. <laughs> one who supports Vince Russo and one that's a Cornette devotee. So, let's play presidential debate wrestling style. Sure. Okay. I like Mr. Sebastiano, first question to you, sir. Dan the man. Look at the face. He's determined now. <laughs> uh -oh. Make the argument for me. Is Jim Cornette a traditionalist stuck in a bubble, or is he a visionary? Wow, that's, that's a good question. I think the that's strength... Why I asked it. <laughs> the, the strength Jim Cornette has comes from his traditionalist views. He said back in the Smoky Mountain days, he was running an 80s promotion with wrestlers born in the 80s. And he has this view of what wrestling is, what it was, what it what he would, I mean, obviously he's not a stupid man. He understands what he wants wrestling to be is dead. It's gone. You're never going to put that genie back in the bottle with kayfabe. But some yeah. of the little points he makes, you mentioned the, the, the match between Wahoo and Ric Flair, I think is a great note to that is at some point, I, I honestly, I think probably early two thousands is really when it started is wrestling stopped being a fight and started being a stunt show it's it's blatantly scripted it's bla you know you, you see the guys doing the little tappy punches to each other while somebody's sitting there waiting to dive on the pile of people it looks hokey 
it's it's all flippy. You mentioned Kenny Omega. I mean, you have re- literally uh, one of the highlights of a wrestling show is is Kenny Omega wrestling a blow up doll. You ha- you book the Invisible Man. You've got you know uh, uh, wrestlers who and I'm no beacon of fitness myself, but you have guys who don't even look like athletes. And I'm not talking the Kevin Owens side. I'm talking you know 120 pounds soaking wet. Well, who, yeah. That, What's that? that was always stunt. yeah. You, that you, was you don't have to be the argument is that they you know wrestlers don't look like wrestlers now. You don't have to be. Uh, what's a good example? You don't have to be like like a Big John Stud or the Warlord. You don't have to be this 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 monstrous muscular right. guy. But you know you have uh, someone like say like a Johnny Gargano down in NXT or even Cody Rhodes who's not by any means a big man but they they look in shape they look like if if push came right. to shove they were going to win look physically fit sure. but you have so many people who don't and and the story there is the trash TV Vince Russo and that was part of the um, I think really what kind of nailed Jim Cornette's point was in the Dark Side of the Ring episode they were interviewing Russo and he said you want to kill me over wrestling. And he kind of made it sound like, like wrestling doesn't matter. You know, you want to, well, what he said, Dan, just wrestling. What he said was, and I quote, it's just wrestling, bro. Right. And that's, that's the point is it's just wrestling. And then they cut to Jim Cornette saying like, wrestling has been the most important thing in my life for 30 years or whatever. But that was the problem was, was Vince Russo went in, he he had no experience in the business. And I'm not, it's I'm not saying this is a criticism. I'm saying he had the mindset of, he was hired into an or into an entity and he was going to change it. And you have somebody, let me pick up on that point with Mr. Messier. To counterpoint, Mr. Messier, your well, first, question, sir. Can I, can is I report Vince to Russo Daniel, okay. a complete imbecile, or <laughs> is he a mad genius? Well, I, w- I would lean towards the mad genius part, but I'd say we don't, it doesn't have to be in extremes. But, but let me let me first say that to the answer to the point, he had no experience. This is this is Vince Russo's experience. He took some wrestling classes, I believe, at Johnny Rod's school in New York yep. or New Jersey area. Absolutely. So he did. He was running the, the video rental shop, and he started doing a wrestling radio show as a pioneer, uh, entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But just as we all have these podcasts now, Vince Russo actually had to do an old-fashioned radio station, and he had to well, pitch them. Me, at a, he, he also let, wrote for hold, the magazine. Hold on, guys. Hold on, fellas. Hold on. Let the old guy here <laughs> smarten you up a little bit. It's absolutely true. Vince did radio. Yeah. But Vince forayed into radio by way of the real pioneer in wrestling radio, whose name is John Rezzi. John Rezzi's wrestling spotlight, uh, which, by the way, uh, is co-hosted by Brian Last. Yes. Of the Jim Cornette experience. Uh, John Arezzi um, is a guy who was friends with Vince Russo and, in fact, lost his friendship with Vince Russo over wrestling. Over wrestling. So, yes, he was absolutely a one of the pioneers, but the pioneer in wrestling radio and the person we can thank for these podcasts all 700 million of them <laughs> is John Rezzi. Thank Let's you, John. Honest about it. Right. So, go ahead, Mikey. Well, 
Okay, so my point was to say that Vince Russo had no experience. That's something you've learned from the Cornets of the world because Vince Russo did have experience. If, yeah, I mean, per, per, well, perhaps he, he, not, having okay. no experience was was the wrong choice of words. What I meant was he was in a he was put into a position in with with a background that didn't get you know, when he was made a writer he didn't transition into being a writer the way people did back then that's what i meant he he had for i mean obviously he didn't come off the street but he took positions in the company that the traditionalists would say somebody with his background had no business getting at that point well, well this. in fairness and and mikey you know yeah, sure. let me let me yield to you for just a moment uh, in fairness, and I'm not, and Mikey will tell you, you know, I like Vince, but I'm not his biggest fan. You know, I respect what he does. Um, I would like very much to interview him, but in fairness to Vince Russo, Vince does have and did at the time and still does have a journalism background. In fact, has a degree not only in English literature, but contemporary literature. And he is, in fact, a writer. Um, and he did, in fact, write before he was hired at WWE, uh, WWF magazine. So that much is true. That's verified. That's mm -hmm. documented. That's, that's all legit. So, Mikey, go ahead. Continue. Well, I guess I would say you talk about experience, Dan. What was Kevin Federline's experience in wrestling before he pinned John Cena on an episode of Monday Night Raw? What was LT Lawrence Taylor's experience in pro wrestling before he pinned Bam Bam Bigelow in the main event of WrestleMania 11? Yeah. What was Steve Mongo McMichael and Kevin Green and Dennis Rodman's and Carl Malone's experience in pro wrestling before they were main eventing WCW pay-per-views? The answer is none. So the, the promoters, Jay Leno. Jay Leno, the chin. Putting our, making Hulk Hogan sell an arm lock in front of uh, 20,000 bikers who were booing and hissing. <laughs> right, so the right. point is, if you want people who know about professional wrestling running the show, that's when someone like myself and Angelo and probably yourself should all be hired by the WWE to give them some storylines that would actually make sense and make people happy. Well, but Vince McMahon we hires should people point that out. he goes to on a whim. So, I, I, you know, that's just the way it is. We should, we should point out. To and, and I'll settle the argument because I'm the old guy and I'm <laughs> the host and it's my show and that's Absolutely. what I'm going to do. Here's the deal. To put it in Vince's words, and I hate to give Vince, Rue the Vince Russo the last word on this, but <laughs> I have to because he's absolutely on point with this when he says, and I quote, it's all a work, bro. It's all a work. It's a work, bro. Well, I didn't get to answer your question, Angelo. If I could, I'll, I'll make it. Go ahead. Not Ninety seconds or less, if I can. You asked me, is Vince Russo? Well, what were the two choices? Either a mad genius or an idiot, or is or he a, an imbecile or a mad genius? I don't think he's. Uh, let's put it this way: he's not an imbecile. I mean, Vince Russo is a smart guy. He's also a compassionate yes. guy. If if people were to watch his um, video series, that's life. Uh, or the the show that I was on, A Bucket Full of Chicken Necks, which I have right. on my Vimeo and my YouTube, you can watch it for free. Yeah. Vince Russo, beyond the confines of talking about pro wrestling, is a well-spoken, compassionate guy. He loves his family. Uh, he, he has genuine concern for people and the state of the future of the world. Uh, he, he's a man of faith. He talks about that. Some people have issues with that. 
I think what's happened with Vince Russo is a growing bitterness he's gotten for the pro wrestling industry because of situations that he experienced and some things. Uh, the, yeah. the biggest hot topic you can get is Owen Hart. The reason why people blame oh, Vince boy. Russo for Owen Hart's death is because of an angle that the great Roddy Piper ran on TNA Wrestling. Before yeah. that angle, and I believe 2002 or 2003, nobody right. was blaming Vince Russo for Owen Hart's death until right. an angle that the great Roddy Piper wanted to do to point the finger at Vince Russo for Owen Hart's death. That's what planted the seed for the manifestation of people blaming Vince Russo for Owen's death. Now, let me ask you this. Well, guys. that's like blaming Hitler for killing Christ. You know, well, let me, well, well, here's let me, the bottom line. I'm gonna, here it is, because we're, we're running a bit long. Sure. Here, here's the bottom line. Much as they don't want to hear this, and I've got something to say to Jim Cornette, and I've got something to say to Mr. Russo. These two guys are exactly alike. They're saying the same thing from different corners of the ring. They're saying exactly the same thing. If you cut through the minutia and take all the bullshit out, what they're saying is exactly the same thing. To say that, for example, that Owen Hart's death is squarely blamed on one person, Vince Russo, is not only idiotic and imbecilic, it's also not true. Right. Mm-hmm. One person is not at fault. Can't be. It's just not possible. Number two, you can't blame the death of wrestling on one person. So Jim Cornette needs to take a step back and look at his involvement in the death of wrestling because he is equally culpable by holding on to those old world values. He's keeping wrestling from progressing forward. Vince Russo, in his mindset, understands that wrestling is already dead and that it's not coming back. And like it or not, call it wrestling or sports entertainment or uh, performance art, whatever you wish to call it, it's not the same product we grew up watching. And I, at 61 years of age, have seen this morph into something that's not even recognizable as wrestling. People call it the evolution of wrestling. Princess Victoria, who was a guest on my show, said it so appropriately well. She said it's the de-evolution, devolving of the wrestling format. It's not wrestling anymore. I'd be just as content to call it performance art as sports entertainment. There is a a level of athleticism, and there is certainly a level of uh, entertainment and showbiz. I don't care what wrestling you do or where you are or what promotion you're associated with. It's not wrestling. It's entertainment. It was when I was a kid, and it is now. It was more believable because people now have forgotten how to suspend this belief. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to Jim Cornette and if you listen to Vince Russo, they're saying exactly what I just said. 
Only I said it better, and I said it shorter. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Angelo. Having said that, <laughs> for Mike Messier, who's going to plug his website. Well, I want to say thanks, Angelo, for having me on. Welcome to the team, Dan the Man in Virginia. Thank uh, you. Nice talking Avalon- to you. Nice talking to you, Dan. I love the Wall of Fame back there. The Avalonia Festival is up and running, avaloniafestival.com, distancefromavalon.com, mikemessier.com. Uh, I just want to say one quick thing. When people give the Attitude Era credit, they give the credit to Vince McMahon. When they want to blame people for Owen Hart passing away, they blame Vince Russo. To me, you exactly. can't do that. That's not fair. And and a lot of people who hate on Russo do exactly what I just said. I don't believe that's fair at all. But uh, thanks for having me on the show. Karen McDaniel's a great guest. Look forward to being on again. You got it. And Dan, Dan the man. Well, I don't have anything to plug. I'm obviously new at this. Well, but, plug uh, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, if you have it. Well, uh, the the man dot uh, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me, the the man dot uh, is uh, the handle that'll be that's used on all social media accounts related to me here. So keep an eye out for that. If uh, parting word there, I agree with you that you blame and credit the wrong person. Uh, however, if we're going to play the the final thought, uh, I don't think Vince Russo has a dented tennis racket on his wall from busting up a fan. So just a <laughs> fi- final final point goes to Jim Cornette on that one. For Dan the Man Sebastiano and Mike the Movie Maker Messier, I am Psychic Media Angelo. Till next time, we'll see you at the matches. Sorry, Bill After, I'm stealing it. (laughs) Happy wrestling, everybody. Take care. We'll see you again.